Good morning. So glad you guys are here today. If you're a guest with us, what we like to do here at New Anthem is take a book of the Bible or a topic that seems relevant, spend a few weeks exploring what God has to say about those things. We're actually in part three of a series called Flossom, how an awesome God uses flawed people. Uh, if you missed the first couple parts of the series, that's okay. You can find them online, but I'll just tell you the entire premise for the series is that we're taking looks, uh, a look at characters in the Bible. And we're seeing how God used them to do uh, wonderful, magnificent things because Hebrews 11 and 12 tells us that we need to look at other people's lives. It, it reminds us that, that uh, God can use you in the same way that God used uh, other people. And, and we're looking at these really ordinary people. But because of their faith in God, they did extraordinary things. And my hope is that you too can, can do something great. Like, like God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And he wants you to accomplish those purposes. He wants to bring his name joy, uh, uh, glory, but you also to have joy when you line yourself up with how he designed the world to work. So this morning we're going to look at a fairly unique character. Maybe you've heard of her. Her name is Rahab. If you haven't heard of her, that's okay because because you're about to hear about, about it. Okay, so, so if you brought a Bible, I hope you did. Go ahead and grab it. You want to open it up towards the beginning, a place called Joshua. You want Joshua chapter 2. If you're new to the whole Bible thing, that's okay. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua is how it will go, but we'll also put it up here on screen for you. You want the big number 2. While you're getting there, let me kind of set up where we're going and ask you a question. Have you ever been, like, labeled or or nicknamed, and it, and it stuck in such a way that there was a label uh, attached to it, maybe something uncool like brace face or four eyes, you know, something like that, geek, nerd, goth, whatever it is. But I know there's a lot of labels in society. The other day I was <clears throat> sitting at home and I was babysitting my daughters, which uh, my wife says it's not babysitting, it's, it's parenting, but let's not... <laughs> Let's not get hung up on semantics here. Uh, the point is, I was by myself with my daughters because Laura had to take Layton to the dentist. A couple years ago, I had a pretty significant underbite. So the, the, uh, the guy had to like, hook him up to some headgear to hopefully pull his top jaw back over. And the, the point of the, the visit was that they were trying to see if this worked and if it was continuing to work. So uh, Laura got home from the appointment. Layton came up to me. I was sitting at the island doing some work. The girls were taking a nap and he came up and he's playing Laura's phone. He was trying to explain to me this game that he downloaded and, and like how it worked and, and, and how to play it. And then needless to say, it was a pretty, pretty riveting conversation for me. Uh, but I finally asked him just the same thing that you would ask, ask your kids. I said, son, are you going to be a geek when you grow up? Maybe that's not what you would have asked. But that's what I asked. I said, I said, uh, uh, it's okay if you are. Like, I just, I, I don't mind. I just need to prepare myself mentally to know that my son is going to be a geek. So, so he asked me, what, what's a geek? So I told him, it's, it's when you're a geek, you just live in your parents' basement the rest of your life. You just play video games all day. And so he thought about it for a little, little while. He said, well, I'll go to church too. I was like, okay, well, that's a, that's a win. All right. Parenting wins, so uh, fair enough. But, you know, what, what more can you ask for? But 
There are some labels that sometimes we get stuck with. Could be something unfortunate like geek. Could be something more unfortunate because uh, this morning our girl Rahab, she has a very unfortunate label. Some people call her a harlot. Most people just call her a prostitute. James 2.25 refers to her as Rahab the prostitute. Hebrews 11.31 calls her Rahab the prostitute. In our story in Joshua, she's labeled Rahab the prostitute. Do you think within the 1,000 years, over 1,000 years, that, that Joshua wrote this story to when Paul wrote the New Testament and James records this, she was like, guys, come on. It's been 1,000 years. You can drop the label. You don't have to qualify my story with that. I wonder... If when we get to heaven and they're introducing biblical characters, we'll come to Rahab. She'll be like, hi, I'm, I'm Rahab. Everybody will be like, I'm Rahab? I've never heard of Rahab. She'll be like, the prostitute? I'm like, oh, yeah, Rahab, the prostitute. Yeah, I got you. Got you. But despite the label, Rahab has a pretty significant impact within Scripture. So let's read her story and figure out what we can learn from her. Genesis, big number two. We're right on the little number one. Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from the camp of Akasia. Your Bible might say Shittim, which is again an unfortunate label, but it's this, it's the same place. Shittim is Hebrew for Akasia. That's all I'll say about that. Uh, he sent them out from there as spies saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came to the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Pause. Okay. So you have this group of people called the Israelites, they're camping at Akasia. They, they are the people who have escaped slavery within Egypt. 400 years of being a slave, Moses came, helped them escape this slavery. But if you recall, they were unfaithful to God. So God said, you're going to have to wander the desert for 40 years. You're not going to get to see this land that I've set aside for you called the promised land. Your kids are going to get to go in, but you're not going to get to go in. Well, we've come to that point where the kids are about to enter in the second generation and God tells them go take the land Joshua is commanding the people at this time he's a military guy you might remember he was also a spy and so he he tells two guys to go in check out the land before we get there they go in they start looking around well apparently somebody sees them and say hey you you don't look like a Canaanite, and it seems a little bit suspicious. Spies don't want unnecessary attention, so they go where all visitors to a town go, they, they, where they would seem the least suspicious. They go to a brothel. Okay, you all seen Western before? That's, that's where everybody goes. They go to the saloon, right? I mean, they go to the, the, the body house to, to not seem suspicious. Well, they too go in there, but somebody sees them uh, enter the cat house. Verse 3. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I, do not know where, I did not know where they were from. When the gate was about to close, they went out. I don't know where they went. Pursue them quickly, because you can overtake them. But she had brought them to the roof, hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after these spies the way of the Jordan as far as the fours. 
and the gate was shut behind them because if you can't trust a hooker, I mean, right? You know, who can you trust? Uh, So the guys, they left. Verse 8, before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when he when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. There was no spirit left in any man because of you for the Lord, your God. He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now, this is a remarkable confession. Keep in mind, Rahab is not a Jew. She is a Canaanite. She is an enemy of God. Canaanites worship multiple gods. So how is it that she comes to say the Israelite God is the one true God? Let me step away from the Bible for a second because this is purely conjecture on my part. Okay, this is Landon speaking. This is not the Bible speaking. But the name Rahab actually comes from the an Egyptian god of the sea. That's, that's where the name Rahab first shows up in Scripture. It's kind of like a Greek god. You, if you read about the Leviathan in your Bible, that's oftentimes referring to Rahab. It's a sea dragon. Rahab is what caused chaos within the seas. Culture back then is a little different than culture now. People like to name their children after some sort of family member or something that they hold near and dear. And uh, apparently Rahab's parents were really into Egyptian mythology because they named their daughter after a a sea dragon, uh, hence her name. So it's not a stretch for us to believe that Rahab had some sort of Egyptian ancestry. Maybe her parents immigrated into the land of Canaan. Maybe it was her grandparents, but whatever the case may be, she had heard the story of this Israelite people, these slaves that, that had escaped from Egypt. Now also keep in mind, this is an oral tradition society, so they had to like talk to one another. They didn't get news right away. There was no Facebook. There was no Twitter. Yet somehow these stories about these Israelites leaving Egypt and what they did in the, in the desert, it, it's come uh, to Rahab. These stories about their God leading them, it, it's come to her. And whether that was from her Egyptian ancestors or her relatives or somebody else, we don't know. All we know is that this story so forcefully impacts her that she confesses the Jewish God is the one true God. Yahweh is God alone. I mean, even the fact that she calls him Yahweh is unbelievable. I am who I am. The name God tells Moses to use when people ask him who sent you, say Yahweh. This is the name that Rahab confesses. And and so it would kind of imply to me that it was probably somebody with some sort of Jewish connection telling these stories and communicating these stories to Rahab. But whatever the case may be, the message for us this morning is monumental. You might jot this down if you're taking notes. God seeks after you. God seeks after you. Maybe a better way for me to say it is, is wherever you are, God will meet you there. That's why if, we, if you log on to our website, the first thing that you'll see is come as you are because that's where Jesus will meet you. We believe that. Rahab shows us that. Remember the 
the label attached to Rahab. She's a call girl. She's a woman of the night, and no little girl dreams of becoming a prostitute when they grow up. You become a prostitute because wicked, evil, demonic, deplorable things have happened to you and continue to happen to you. So how is it that the pure, righteous, holy, and sinless God of the universe shows up to reveal himself to a hooker at a house of ill repute within a people that he said he was going to destroy? He shows up to show us. To show us, each of us, that you're never too far from God. Yes. It's the greatest news in the history of the world that you can't be too far from God. And if we learn anything from Rahab, we learn that you're never too far away. So listen to me. I don't know how you've come in here or what you've gone through or what your life looks like for many of you, but I know John 15, 16 says, you did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Man, I hope you get that. If you get nothing else, I get. God so wants you to be part of His story, His redemption story, that He's willing to step off of His throne, come down to this earth, and make a way for you to be in a relationship with Him through His Son, Jesus, because of His death, burial, and resurrection. I mean, how mind-blowing is it to think that the God of the universe would come to you and invite you to participate with a relationship in with him how crazy is that i feel like i'm preaching 63 percent better than you're responding right now this is this is amazing that that god would come and show up to a hooker within a people that he said he was going to destroy but point one god seeks after you doesn't matter where you're at god's going to come and find you let's keep going verse 12 now then Please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. In other words, because I've helped you, I need you to do something for us. I need Because I saved your life, I want you to save my family's life. Which, think about anything that she could have asked for in that moment. I mean, really, she, she had these men's lives in her hands, literally in her hands. So think about anything that she could have asked for. She could have asked for money or gold. These guys might not have had it, but there was plenty of it back at the camp. She could have demanded some payment. She could have demanded some new house or land or some kind of leadership position. Instead, she says, I believe in your God. I believe that he's going to take this heavily fortified city and the 10-foot walls surrounding it, so please save my family. Don't let us die within this God-forsaken place. Which under duress or not, these men agree. They say, bring everybody into your house. Don't let anybody go out or they will die. That's going to be their own fault because I told you to keep them in here. Tie a scarlet cord in your window. And wait, it's verse 21. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. And you probably know what happens next. You've 
heard the song, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, 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 Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, but the walls came tumbling down, except for this one spot where she, where she was at with her whole family and the scarlet cord and all that. How cool that have been to see, okay? Right? I mean, she's sitting there. These walls come down except her lone tower. You read in Scripture that her house was built into the wall. So we've got this one lone surviving tower while the rest is in rubble. Which, what's the lesson for us? Lesson number two, faith is demonstrated by your actions. Faith is demonstrated by your actions. We see this over and over and over within Scripture. Christianity is a two-step process. It's absolutely believing in Jesus, that He died for you and that He rose from dead, thereby conquering sin and death. And because of His life, your life can be made new. But it's also about living a life of faith after that. Watch what James says about Rahab. He says, you can see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? In other words, did she not prove her faith? Not by what she said when she confessed God, Yahweh, as the one true God, but rather by what she did to help these men. Let me ask you an important question. Does your way of life prove to people that you are a Christian? I'm not talking about, oh, sure, pastor, they know I come to church. Listen, coming to church doesn't make you uh, a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a cheeseburger. You know what I'm saying? Like, you have to do something with your faith, And you have to show people what it is. I'm asking you, like if a foreign army came and invaded our country and outlawed Christianity, could they prove that you were living a life as a Christian and that you were a follower of Jesus because of how you spent your money, because of how you loved your family, because of how you cared for the people around you, because whatever you did, you did it not for man. You did it for God. Like is that the story of your life. If not, it could be. You can leave today making that your story, but maybe this is a better question for you. Are you just a spectator watching a show on Sunday? Are you a fan or are you a follower? Are you participating in the story? It's just something to think about, but back to our girl Rahab. When she hung that cord and all of a sudden the Israelite army showed up, started marching around the walls. Nobody knew what they were doing. But on day seven, she heard the screams, the shouts, the blow on the trumpet, and she started to feel the ground shake. How nervous do you think the people on the wall were in that moment? And all of a sudden, these 10-foot-wide walls around her start creaking and crumbling. And then she's hearing the screams of the people in the, in the houses around her wailing in distress as stones come crashing down on them. And the Israelite army invades and starts killing everybody. But she, listen to me, she didn't have uh, anxiety. She was at peace. She looked up. She saw her scarlet cord in the window gently vibrating. She knew she was safe. She had peace of mind within her soul. Thankfully, if you're a follower of Jesus, you too have a scarlet cord. You can live a life of peace because your future, like Rahab's, is secure. Your sins have been paid for. You don't have to worry about what might happen to you. 
Furthermore, with, when your faith lines up with your actions, you're justified. You're demonstrating that this is not just about you. This is your life. I'm following Jesus. My life is secure. I've got my scarlet cord hung up in the window. I've put my trust and faith in Jesus. I know who my Lord and Savior is. I know where I'm going to die. I have nothing to fear. Come on, somebody. Like this is, this is what I'm talking about. This is what we learned from Rahab. Your faith and your actions, they've got to line up though. It's not just about your trust. It's also about what you do with your trust. Now, I'm going to give you this last point, but before I do, because I know some of you type A personalities, you're going to write down, you're going to forget everything else I say. And so I'm not going to give you the point. I'm going to tell you some things first. So I want to, I want to show you another scripture. It's in Matthew chapter 1. So the very first book in your New Testament. So we got Malachi, then we got 400 years of nothing, and then the very first thing that we get after that 400 years is Matthew chapter 1, which is a genealogy of Jesus. And it says, the book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Uh, And it gives you some names. And then verse 3 says, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, which if you want to talk about some kind of whacked out Jerry Springer story, go read Genesis 38 and read the story about Tamar. And it gives you some more names. And then it says, Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, which we already got her story. And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, which who was Ruth? She was a Moabite, again, an enemy of God. And Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, which if you know the story, that's Bathsheba. Who's Bathsheba? She was a victim of an adulterous relationship. So, so within this genealogy, we only have four females Listed. And remember, we're talking about the direct descendants of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the genealogy of how Jesus entered the world. This is the family line Jesus chose. Okay? You thought your family was all jacked up, but, but you didn't choose them. All right? They're, those bums you got inherited. Okay? Jesus chose this line. Why would he choose these people to be part of his family? Because God wanted you to know that through Tamar, He will forgive the darkest of sin. That through Rahab, He will use you regardless of your past. And through Ruth, God will not leave anyone out. And with Bathsheba, God can heal any situation. Amen. I'm going to preach over here. They're talking back to me over here. (laughs) This is what we get in Matthew chapter 1. The genealogy. And yet most people, they open that up and they skip it because they see all the names. No, 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 no. Every name has a story. Every story matters to God. Well, well, what about, what about Salmon? We read in here, it says, Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. Who's Salmon? What's his story? It's First Chronicles 2.51. It says, Salmon is the father of Bethlehem. Now, I don't know what you know about Bethlehem, but it's where our Savior ultimately was born. I don't know what you know about civil engineering, but not just anybody can be a founder of a city. Like, he's, like, in other words, Salmon, he's legit. 
Okay, he, he's got money, he's got fame, he's got notoriety, he's clearly got some leadership capabilities. Again, speculation on my part, but I like to imagine Salmon is the brother who kicked down the door of that lone surviving tower after the Israelites had conquered the city, and he went in and said, get all your stuff. And he was like, oh, dang, girl, like, what? You better stick with me, okay? I mean, we don't know what's lingering out there. You better come with me, Rahab, and we'll just make sure you and your family stays safe. And, and uh, as you can see in Scripture, they end up getting married. They have a son named Boaz. What's the lesson for us? Lesson number three, you can't change your past, but God can change your future. You have no opportunity to change your past, but God can wholeheartedly change your future. As we close this morning, I want you to think about something. The only thing Rahab really brought to the table after God sought her out, after in faith she had the action and wherewithal to hang the scarlet cord, and and God used her to accomplish His purposes in Jericho, the only thing that she brought to the table is the same thing that you bring to the table when God seeks you out, sin. That's the only thing that you have to contribute to the Lord of the universe. And what separates her from other people is her profound faith. At the end of the day, if you'll have faith, God will always see you through. If you will trust in Him. But I think most people fall into one of two camps. Either they think that God could never love them, that He could never use them in a profound way because of their past or whatever. You have too much baggage. But that's clearly not the case. You can't out God if we see anything from Rahab's story. That is one of the things. But then others of us, we, we pray to God, we, we trust in Him, and then we say, well, what's the plan for me? I believe in you, God, so, so why are these things happening? And why do I not hear from you? And then we don't hear, and so we think God has abandoned us. And the reality is He's waiting on you to take your next step. He's waiting on you to hang your scarlet cord, to, to step out in faith. I mean, you realize like God is never surprised, right? So, so the silence that you might be getting is not Him thinking on it. It's not like when you pray to Him, God, I need your help. Where are you leading me? He's in heaven going, ooh. Bro, uh, if I can be honest, I just really am shocked you made it this far. <laughs> like, like angels had you 10 to 1 getting here. And I just, I'm, I, I need a little bit of time to figure out how we can, we can place you into that next role. And no, you, you remember that, that Rahab confessed that, that the God, Yahweh, split the Red Sea. Well, if you go back and read that story of when God splits the Red Sea, you'll see that it was an act of obedience on Moses' part before the sea was split. Like, he had to take that, that first step in faith, believing in God. And this is the same thing that God is asking of you. You've got to take your next step. I don't know what that next step may be. All I know is that God has asked you to live a life of faith and take that next step, whatever it is, in your life and start lining your life up with what you confess you believe if you say that you, in fact, believe it. I don't know why, but this is how God works. You follow in faith and with action, and then He will change your future.
And so with every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, I just want to pray to God towards that end, that he will reveal to you what your next step may be. For some of you, that that next step is to confess God the same way Rahab did. And so I want to start there with every head bowed, every eye closed. If that's you this morning, the Bible says confess and believe in your heart. So just follow me and say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I've sinned. I'm sorry I've not lived the way you wanted me to. But I believe that I can be forgiven by the blood of Jesus. I believe that he died for me. I believe that he rose from the dead. I believe that he can change my future. Help me serve you. God, I thank you for that free gift of salvation. God, I know the only thing I'm bringing to the table is sin. And despite that, you want to to use me in a profound way. And God, I believe that every person in this room, you want to use in a profound way to bring your name glory and to bring them joy. And I'm just... I'm just praying by the power of the Holy Spirit that you will reveal to each person sitting here right now what their next step of faith needs to be. Show them how they can love you better, to follow you more faithfully, to love their spouse deeper, to love their children deeper, to be a better employee, to be a better student, to be a better athlete, to be a better co-worker, God, I'm praying that each person here can can impact their communities around them by acting in faith and showing people that this isn't just this isn't just something I'm talking about. This is the way I'm living. God, I'm trusting this all in Jesus' name. Amen.